I'm thinking something like. song hey pretty lady won't you give me a sign i'll do anything we can find online i'll do your back and call yeah well yeah i'm glad that you know that i like that song once go on i'm so old to the lady in the second row she's an eight she's nine she's ten i know she got ruby red lips blonde hair blue eyes and i'm about to bid my heart goodbye yeah yeah that's a fun song i know old country songs i get kind of sad when people are just like oh go and i'm like no no the song so we can be like okay good i figured being from Alabama, you know yes okay i was raised on old country oh speaking of old country yes our wonderful guest today lydia popovich is a Dolly fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things I love about her. Like mega Dolly fan. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really, I know a couple of mega Dolly fans in my life, and I love their energy. Mm-hmm. It's always like confident on confidence, on like lightness and brightness and like it's fashion. Dolly. Very you know? Dolly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that we got to um, sit with Lydia. I've like talked to her a couple of times, but never in this atmosphere. And mm-hmm. it was really... I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a good mix of um, like laughter, but still going deep and sharing stuff. So I really appreciated that. I did too. Mm-hmm. And you guys are going to love it as you so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Darcy, Larcy. Darcy, can you hear? Can you hear okay, Darcy? Yeah, cutie How's angel. it sound in your cans? You okay? <laughs> you all right? <laughs> okay. You're a dog lover. Big time. <laughs> Big time. Big Did you time. grow up with dogs? I, here's the funny part. No. Oh. I had one dog and it ran away. Oh. Or so I was told. Oh. <laughs> Uh, and then we had cats. Like we didn't have any animals. And my mom had cats. She was a big cat person. And what? I thought for literally 43 years, I was a cat person. Had a cat for 20 years. Loved that cat very much. She passed away. And then I like, was like no animals for a minute. I just need time to recover. But I always kind of knew, I knew I wanted a big dog and I wanted a dog, but I wanted a right place. And then we moved here and we got Judy and I was just like so scared because it's been so long and she was a puppy. Mm. And I was just like, how do you take care of a puppy? Like, what the fuck? Like, this is way more involved than I, I thought. <laughs> yes. Needless like to say, it didn't take me very long. Fell fully in love with her, like <laughs> obsessed, like totally get it. And then we got like another dog into our home within like six months of having her. So now we have two dogs and I am obsessed with my dogs. Mm-hmm. Like they are my best friends. They have changed me into a morning person. Like Aww. I am obsessed <laughs> with my animals. I have two cats as well, which are fine. They're fine, but I love my, oh my dogs. <laughs> so like that's the big joke at our house is like, I've been a dog person the whole time and I didn't know it. Aww. And I'm so mad at my mom. Cause I'm just like, you robbed me of having, like, I <sighs> didn't know. Like, I thought I was a cat person, and I'm not. I'm a dog person. Mm. I love cats, though. Oh, cats are No, but there's just dogs around as a whole nother level. Like, there's just this, like, back and forth thing. Mm -hmm. And it happens with some cats. Yes. Like, my old cat, for sure, had very, Mm -hmm. like, high dog energy in terms of that. But, like, there's just something about looking into a little dog's face. And them looking back at you and being like, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. Aww. It's like unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Just straight served on the raw every yeah. single fucking day. That's how you feel about your dogs. They're like my kids. Yeah. yeah. yeah I spoil you the can shit out of them. Just, I don't know. I can. 
I mean, it's just I'm the only human in the house. I'm outnumbered. But mm-hmm. I talk to them, and they can just respond to human just yeah. words. Like, yeah. just, I don't know. It's weird. I have whole conversations with them. I yeah. run most things by the dogs first. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, can get, I can, like, we can just, we give each other's looks a lot. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like, if Riley's, like, making that noise I can't stand, I'm just like, Mm, stop. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah no but i just love it you can just look at them and just there's just like a sweetness and all they want is just to be like are you okay with me mm-hmm. like that, are you, i'm okay i'm okay are you? and you're like yeah you're good and then i'm like i feel like i'm the opposite of the problem like here comes this bitch again <laughs> <laughs> overbearing neediness like, you okay bitch you okay you fine you wait you're saying that's the cat or that you're saying um, that's what i think my dogs sometimes are looking at me like are you good oh <laughs> like, i'm good are you good <laughs> But no, my cats are very much like you can go. Yeah, we're yeah. good here. Yeah. Don't don't even don't. One lets me touch them. The other one is like only lets me pet her if there's dogs around because she's obsessed with the dogs. <laughs> but she wants nothing to do with me. <laughs> Literally unless I have a treat to give her, she could give two shits. Does that would not be care. sad if that was your only pet. Right? Well, honestly, at first I was really upset about it because I got these kittens at the same time and the dog was supposed to be for my partner. Like, uh-huh. that was going to be his dog. And I was like, I've got my kittens. And the kittens were like, yeah, we don't care. We're never coming out. We're never touching you. We're not doing anything. And he was like with his puppy like, me. And I was like, where I want to be a part of that. Yeah, but then he made the stake of going out of town. <laughs> that's all it took was one weekend for me to win that dog over. And he came back home and she was like, no, mom. I'm a mama's girl. Mom takes me outside. Mom takes me in the car. Mom Mm. gives me treats, you know. But she does, I mean, she is obsessed with him as well. Like, if it comes down to it, like, she's feeling really, like, she needs her snuggles. She's like, daddy. But she definitely, like, starts and ends her day with me. When you were little, did your dog die? Is that what really happened? Well, what happened was is that we, yes, we needed to move. And so the place we were moving to did not allow dogs. So we gave the dog to my godfather's family temporarily Mm. while we like figured things out. And I was like seven, you know, Mm -hmm. the dog had two puppies, which is already, as you know, like only two puppies from a dog's litter, like. I don't, I didn't know that then, but like now, like, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Like the rest of her puppies died. She had the two, she passed away Wow. and they had the two dogs and then they gave the two dogs up for adoption. And so like, I found that out like years later, like she basically had died in childbirth. Damn. When she, you know, and, and we got her, like she was, I got her from like a farm that like my dad was a weed grower. So like I got her from, she was a weed dog. Like I was from a property that he like knew people. There was like 12 dogs running around and she was an English pointer that the guy who owned the farm, like saved from a breeder because she had reverse colors. Oh, whoa. So he had just happened to be there and they were like going to shoot the dog. And he's like, Ew, don't shoot the dog. So he took her home <laughs> and had the dog for like a year. And the dog never got along with anybody, but loved me. And so every time I went there, I would play with this dog. So my dad was like, okay, she can have the dog. Mm. And then we had her for like a year and then, we had Damn. to move and like my family had like mm. couldn't afford the house we were living in and had to downsize and that's what happened. So yeah, but of course you're not going to tell a seven-year-old like your All dog. All of that. That's <laughs> a lot to like unpack, yeah. So yeah, but so yeah, she ended up dying. Could, but for years, anytime I'd like see a dog that like remotely liked her, I was like, it's Pegasus! It's Pegasus! Mm. And I'd be like, no, she's it. <laughs> 
<laughs> She's <laughs> dead. One hundred percent dead. You, but. your dad was a weed farmer, like yes. marijuana. Yes. Whoa. I was okay. trying to. I wanted to ask that question, but I wasn't sure. If yeah, I don't question. think anybody grows like weeds. <laughs> well, yeah. that's. What, yeah. I, I was trying to like, <laughs> work it out in my brain. Yeah, no, he works, like, he, yeah he you never weed. know. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! Yeah. You're from California. I am. Okay. okay. Yeah, 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 and from the Bay Area specifically, where like if you don't go weed, like what are you doing? Mm. Um, very much those vibes. He lived in the Santa Cruz Mountains. How'd you end up here? Um, I mean, long story short, uh, I started coming out here regularly, probably about 15 years ago with just friends and we're big Dolly Parton fans. And so oh. we came out and made a pilgrimage and we go to Dollywood, had a great time. And then we fell in love with like Sevierville. Then we're like, oh, let's find a Nashville text time. And then we'd fly out. So I've been coming out here like multiple times a year for at least the last 10 years. Okay. And then my partner is actually originally from here. Okay. But we met in California. Oh, shit. And so I was just kind of like, I wanted to buy a house. We were in LA for four and a half years and everything I looked at was like crazy expensive Mm -hmm. and just not like in the realm of possibility for what made sense for me. Yeah. So I kind of always knew I'd end up out here in some capacity. And then like things were just kind of lining up. And so like around the pandemic, I got an opportunity where I was able to come out here. And so I took it and looked at my partner was like, would you ever consider moving back home, back to Nashville? Like, would that be something you'd be open to? And he looked at me and he's like, just been waiting for you to ask. I knew it had to be your idea. And I was like, really? I was like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. (laughs) And then I looked at him and I was like, but here's the thing. My only caveat is I don't want to live like in the city proper. Mm -hmm. And he was like, music to my ears. He's like, I don't want to live in the city either. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we're on mm-hmm. the same page. We want to go there. We want to find a home that like has land yeah. out of the mm-hmm. city so that we can have this, like just the opposite of the life we've been living. Yeah. And that's how we got to hire. Why did Perfect. he say he thinks it had to be your idea? Yeah. <laughs> because I, um, it needed to be my idea. <laughs> I, <laughs> and let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, I have a little issue with control. Uh, I like to be in control. Cute, cute, uh, cute. I like to make the plans. Um, and he knew, you know, it's a cultural difference. So as someone who's born and raised in California, like, you know what I mean? He's like, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be on your terms. And it's also a big move. And also my family lives there and I've never lived that far away from my family. And yeah. he obviously mm-hmm. has. So it was like, there was layers mm-hmm. to yes. it. But yeah, certainly uh, he's not wrong. I like to be the person who comes up with the ideas and present things. It's, it sounds like you're a good match. Yeah. No, he's absolutely like more than willing to do that. He usually has good ideas. And a lot of times he'll like seed the idea and then let me kind of come around to it. <laughs> I appreciate that in him. He knows I need that little win. Oh. You know? so it's do good. you have siblings? I do. I have okay. one brother who's 11 years my junior. Oh, wow. It's just us. <gasps> oh, wow. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to be here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But he very much that was, was not like, a, yeah, it, it wasn't part of my mother's or my father's plan at that point either. Like they were like on the verge of getting divorced. And then it was like, oops, like, oh shit, I'm pregnant. Oh no. And my mom had always, I mean, if it was up to my mom, she would have had 12, 13, 14 children. Like my mom loves kids. She always wanted to have a lot of kids. Mm. She tried several times. Unfortunately, it just was not working out that way. So mm-hmm. she had kind of given up and just kind of thought this isn't going to happen. And then of course, yeah. you know, God or whomever will, you know, go ahead and. Tap you on the shoulder and be like, excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> We're going to have a baby now. We have another opportunity for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you call it an yeah. opportunity. Yeah, it's an opportunity for you. You know, if you're open to receive, it's time to have it, you know. So she did. And, you know, and I'm glad she did because my dad always wanted a son. Oh. And honestly, like my brother and my mother are truly best friends. Oh. 
which is beautiful and I love it. My mom, I love my mom dearly. Uh, we don't have any problems, but like we are such different people uh. and we never have had that kind of like intense mother daughter bond that like most people like, or most women or women identifying people, you know, kind mm-hmm. of see with their mom. I just, she's always been there. She's the sweetest fucking woman on the planet. I love her dearly, but we don't have that kind of connection. We just don't it's taken us a long time to get to a place where like, I understand where she's coming from and she understands where I'm coming from. And it's, it's a lot of it has been growth on my part. If I'm going to be super honest, I'm mm. just accepting, like I can't change who she is. Mm-hmm. She made me, I need to come to the table <clears throat> mm-hmm. and draw boundaries where things are inappropriate mm-hmm. or draw boundaries where I don't feel supported and articulate to her why I've drawn a boundary there. You Amazing. Know? Yeah. So, and my brother and my mother are like fully enmeshed. Like, I think their relationship is wonderful, but I also think it's unhealthy, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it works for them. Mm-hmm. And I am so happy because they live in the same house. Mm-hmm. They, they live Ooh. truly together. You know Ooh. what I mean? And everything that they do, he will never leave. And that's fine too. You know what I mean? Like she's more than happy to have him. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I've just been like, awesome. Cool. I will be in Tennessee. Uh-huh. Um, call me. Did you have uh, a closer relationship with your dad? Absolutely. Oh, nice. Absolutely. I definitely was like a, very much a daddy's girl, like mm. very much grew up kind of like around him doing that. And that's primarily because he, you know, grew weed or had little jobs. Like he definitely didn't have like a steady career through my life. Uh-huh. And my mom was always like, in school to be a nurse or being a nurse's aide or doing stuff. She was at work most of the time. So Mm -hmm. I just hung out with my dad and sometimes I was going on drug runs. Sometimes that was, uh, going to a pool hall. Sometimes that was, you know, Mm -hmm. doing unsavory things, but sometimes it was also like going to the flea market. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Sometimes it was just like gardening. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was just hanging out. So I really got to like understand where he came from. And we do have very similar personalities. Yeah. He was a phenomenal storyteller. He was exceedingly um, charming. Very, very charming. He definitely taught me how to like capture the attention of a room. Yeah. I grew up watching my dad kind of, my dad was the kind of guy where like he showed up and people were like, Alec! And like the vibe Aww. shifted. Aww. So like I grew up in that kind of energy. And my mom mm-hmm. is the opposite. My mom is very much like, oh, that lady has been sitting here for a while. Does anybody know her? Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? And she's happy as a clam just watching or she's saddled up right next to one other person and, and call, you know, in a little conversation. Mm-hmm. And my dad's the one who's like, rah, 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 you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So definitely a little bit different. Yeah, no, I, I spent a lot of time with him and we went through tough times too. Yeah. You know, there's certainly a period of time in like in my teenage years, like when you realize that your parents our people mm, yeah, um, <laughs> mess up. and that they perfect. are correct, <laughs> yeah. capable of flaws, yeah. you know, and also me just kind of seeing the bigger picture and kind of being old enough and also coming into my own womanhood and being in relationships and you kind of see like the inconsistency between like the father he was to me versus the husband he was to my mm. mother. Mm-hmm. And then that fucking you up and being like, whoa, what does that mean to me? Am I like, yeah how's a man going to treat me? You know, and I, I can have this perspective looking back, but like at the time I remember being like 16, 17, 18, like trying to figure this shit out and being like, what the hell? Like what, how is he so good to me? But then he's like terrible to like her, mm. Wow. you know, and kind of realizing those things. So I went through a period where I was really unhappy and we didn't talk for like a year mm. because I wanted him to have accountability for the way that he had mm. treated my mother when I was younger. Wow. And I felt like he needed to come to the table with that. And like, mm-hmm. he was going through a bunch of recovery stuff. So I was like, if you're going to do all this shit, like, you need to stop at this part of the table yeah, and yeah. like really do it, you know? And he yeah. did honestly, like we got through some shit and he got to the place where like he was able to kind of look back and reflect and we were able to kind of have that 
resolution and Mm -hmm. he owned and he took that. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm comfortable entering back into this relationship and like building this with you. You were going through this at 16? Um, it started at 16. It really came to a head at around 19. Wow. I remember when I was at 19, uh, for father's day, I wrote him a letter that was all the reasons why he had disappointed me as a father, which is like, <laughs> that was on father's day. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Cause that's the kind of petty that she raised. That's some shit he would do. Like I was like, Ooh, let's go. You know? And looking back, I'm like brutal. Like I can't even imagine like receiving that letter. Like, and I've looked back through like old hard drives and stuff. It's like, God, I would love to find that letter. Yeah. You know? And then like when yeah. he passed away, I was like looking through shit. Like, oh. let me find that letter. And I couldn't find it. I'm like, I would have fucking burnt it. I wouldn't have kept that shit either. <laughs> But I'm glad I did because it was something Mm -hmm. that was like, it it made him stop and reflect because he was like, oh, she took the time. And Mm -hmm. I wrote it out. um, Like I typed it and printed Mm -hmm. it and it wasn't like handwritten. So it was, there was not business. Correct. (laughs) It was like, here's all the reasons. And it was very like college written. You know what I mean? I also wanted to be like, look how smart I am. Like very much looking to like, Make a point. Make my point and wanting, and also just kind of like ruffle feathers a little bit. I was, I had a lot of anger at that age. So I was Mm -hmm. really into like picking fights and telling people what I thought about them Mm -hmm. to see what happened. Yeah, but he received that. He did. Yeah. He did. That was a gift there. Yeah. I'm super happy that I did it like in retrospect. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And when we got to the place where we could talk about it as, you know, mutual adults, Mm -hmm. he definitely thanked me for doing it. You know, he echoed, yeah, it was not a cool thing to receive. Like I was not a happy about it yeah and my first like response was to move to anger mm. but then i had to realize like one of the things that he was like i think it was like item 4b was i'm too angry <laughs> i should probably reach out and tell her how pissed i am there's a whole letter a whole paragraph and section about emotionally exploding so maybe i uh, shouldn't do that you know what i mean i was like well thank you for reading and comprehending and uh so after it. he got that letter, he came to you like it was a while. Uh, oh, okay. He acknowledged there was a space where there was just no acknowledgement or uh, like we just weren't. And we were already in a place of not speaking mm-hmm. where I was like avoiding him. If I'd come home from college, I was also living away from home. So I should say I was in college at Chico, which in California is like three and a half hours north of like where my Bay Area family lived. So it's a lot easier to also throw these daggers when like your dad's not going to like cruise up to your house. Yeah. You know what I mean? And be like, hey, so it was easier to do it that way. So we were already going through periods of like me not calling him and I wasn't Mm -hmm. physically there. So it was easy to avoid interactions. Mm -hmm. And I would, I remember like the first Christmas I came home or it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, like the first holiday that I came home after I'd sent that at father's day. I remember like purposely not speaking to him, like making eye contact and like going to the other side of the house. Mm -hmm. And at this point, my parents were also divorced, but like my dad came to our home. Like my mom and my dad always kept like an amicable relationship. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. And so he would be at the house and stop by before we went to work for like Thanksgiving. I remember like purposely like not going to talk to him, not going to do it. You know what mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Probably was like, I don't know, three to seven ish months after that, that like the next time I was home, he's like, can you come outside, please? Mm-hmm. Can we, can we just talk for a minute? Good. And he came outside and we talked and I was like, well, look, this is how I feel. Yeah. This is uncomfortable. This puts me in a fucked up position between you and mom. Like, I need to like figure out and like also like, why did you make those choices? And he wasn't able to answer all of my questions then, but Mm. like eventually over the Mm -hmm. years, those things came out. Impressed that at a young age you were doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, where did that come from? I'm going to say something controversial, (laughs) but I'm going to be honest. I did a lot of experimentation with psychedelics. 
when I was like mm-hmm. 15, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off with like just doing mushrooms, you know, getting high, taking LSD to get high with friends. And then I really had like a series of experiences that led me to understand greater connectivity, mm-hmm. which made me really want to start looking into how our brains worked and like how we could perceive reality and how we could like telegraph our energies into our relationships. And mm-hmm. my mom and my dad were hippies and they had friends that were hippies. And there was this woman that lived around the corner from us, um, from my mom's house. We, I grew up in the, the house that my mom grew up in. Oh, cool. So these people lived around the corner and she kind of had, for lack of a better word, a metaphysical library. She had this little shack in her backyard <laughs> and all of go? these books from like the forties, fifties, sixties and seventies and eighties oh about drugs what? and about Eastern thinking and Eastern thought. First time I ever read, cool. like, Be Here Now was at 16 <gasps> in that little room. <laughs> what? And that makes was in sense there and now. was like, what is this? And poked it out and, like, sat in that room for, like, the entirety of the time it took to read that book. And then she ended up giving it to me and being like, just borrow it for a few days, you know? Yeah. First time I ever read, like, just, I mean, knew about Timothy Leary. That's how I found about, I mean, a tons of shit. So I spent a lot of time reading about Eastern philosophy wow. and reading about just sort of <laughs> alternate schools of thoughts and how to manifest your reality and how to change things. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked to me because as a kid, you know, at this point, you know, I was an only child until 12. Right. So I spent a lot of time by myself yeah, entertaining myself. So I always had an active imagination. I was always very comfortable in my own head and being mm. alone. And then when I started doing sort of psychedelic drugs at a young age, my mind started opening up in this way. And I was just yeah. like, Oh my God. And I got overwhelmed. And then I started reading these books and was just like, okay, okay. Like, I think I unlocked something and I knew I did. Cause I would try to have conversations with like my peers. <laughs> some of them would get it. And some would be like, what? <laughs> yeah. what? <laughs> okay. Did you kiss him or not? You know what I mean? I'm just like. Spiritually, I I'm did. I'm like, yeah, we went to the beach, but like, I don't know. We were the next to each other and we were looking at the sky, you know what I mean? And she was just like, okay, but did you fuck? Yeah. You know? exactly. I'm like, I don't know, bitch. I was looking for a higher connection. Okay? I was trying to see if like we could both be on like a different plane. Like, can he astral project? You know what I mean? Just like shit that she did I not, love it. you know, didn't get. So like, I was kind of ahead of the curve. Oh my God. There's a lot of shit That's that I wild. just like didn't talk to people about mm, yeah. until I was a little bit older. And I kind of figured out really early, like on one of these trips, like it's up to me mm-hmm. that I remember having that realization at like 16, no one's going to do anything for me. Like my parents are here to give me life. My parents are here to guide me. But like when it comes down to it, I am fully responsible for my own health and my own well-being, mentally and physically. Whoa. And if I don't figure out how to do that, I'm going to be reliant upon another person, Mm -hmm. whether that's a man, whether that's some sort of authority figure, whether that's a job. And and the only thing that I knew for a fact is that I didn't want to have let anyone else have control over my life, Mm. that I wanted to be in a place that if my parents died tomorrow, if everyone in my life died, that I would know how to do shit. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I would get there and be able to like teach my family how to do shit. Mm -hmm. So like I figured that out at a young age. So I knew I had to figure out how to communicate and how to do stuff. So some of this shit kind of just came naturally to me. And then other of it was amplified by the stuff that I was reading and just like making those connections and the responsibility to myself and my mental well-being at a young, pretty young age, certainly. 
And it was odd because it was like most of my friends weren't coming to those realizations until like their 30s. Yeah. Yeah. Like late mm-hmm. 20s, 30s and being like, oh my God, I had a vision. I'm like, duh, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you can spend some time. Look within, ho. Like literally like... <laughs> So I remember being in college and just like so many wayward girls. Like I got called mom a lot in college. Mm, got the name yeah. mama because I'd just be like, what, what happened this time, bitch? You're like mm. the wise soul. The yeah. yeah. And I definitely got a lot of growing up like she's an old soul. She's an old person, mm. a young person's body. And like that shit resonated with me quickly. As soon as I like figured things out, I was like, oh, OK, like I've walked this earth before. Yeah. Like there was just certain things that like I knew. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I did, but I know this isn't my first, this isn't my fucking first trip around. Yeah. I, I love that. I came pre-baked with some shit and I just <laughs> happened to unlock it quicker than some other people. Look within O. Honestly, that was like a line that I was known for. Like I used to say that all the time. Like, look within O, get it together. Like I don't have the time for this right now. Like, you know the answer. Do we have to sit down and do this again or what? Can I? No. <laughs> I that is so fucking cool yes it, can you is there somebody in your life that you feel did that for you since you were always that person for other people you know what Great it's question. it's been different people over the years always mm-hmm. um i was just talking about this person actually recently so when i was again in the same time period 15 16 17 is when i realized i needed to take care of myself so i started figuring out okay i need to find a job that like makes money mm-hmm. like not just like manager at the fucking playland like you know what i mean which is a job i had like you know all these different you know looking pizza whatever like all the jobs and so i was like thinking about i was like okay think smart like what can i do and my dad uh was friends with this couple and we went over there i've known them my whole life and this woman had uh two young kids and she was just going back into the workforce and she was a realtor and i always really liked her because she was the only example outside of my mom of like just a strong, beautiful woman. And like, she was different from my mom because my mom was timid and very much like, she always took second step to my dad. She grew up Mm -hmm. just in a different way. So this is a woman that was like, just, she was tall. Number one, she was like six feet tall. She had this gorgeous hair and she just held herself with this like dignity and confidence. And she wasn't a thin woman. She wasn't a blonde woman. She wasn't a young woman. Mm -hmm. And she just, to me was one of the first representations of like female independence Mm -hmm. that I ever saw. Mm -hmm. And her husband at the time, like, was an addict and she was not happy with him and she would always speak openly about it and she'd be like, don't do this and don't do this. And, like, I remember her just, like, I would ask her for a lot of advice, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And she would always, like, back up my feelings of, like, yeah, know how to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Know how to take care of yourself. Don't ever feel like you need to be hooked into the traditional concept of being married and a man. Whereas my mom was like, make sure you find a good husband. Mm, that was always part yeah. of her narrative was you've got to find a good husband. You've got to find a good husband. Cause when you have kids and like, there was a very traditional mm. and this other woman was always like, figure out what you want to do, yeah. figure out who you want to be, mm. get there. And so when I went to go talk to her, I was like, look, I want to have a job. I want to do something. She's like, you want to take care of my kids for the summers? You want to be a nanny? Mm-hmm. I was like, actually, yeah, mm-hmm. that would be perfect. Mm-hmm. So I started spending time with her nannying her kids and getting kind of like wisdom from her in a way. And she would speak very frankly and she would speak to me like an adult. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't speak to me like a child. Yeah. So she was probably like the first like adult when I was a child that I was like, oh, this isn't. Okay. You see me. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know? And then honestly, my my dad do that too. My dad would always just be like, you're going to be great. You're smart. Don't worry about it. Don't be. And he would 
would like take my mom down, which I didn't like. That was one of the things that I did write in the letter. Like, don't <laughs> bring me up by putting my mom down. Yeah. Like, that doesn't help me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But he was just like, oh, that's not what I meant. He didn't get it until later that he was doing that. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to be like, he was trying to say, don't be submissive. Don't let someone else make up your choices mm-hmm. for you. You're strong enough to do this. You're smart. You can mm-hmm. do, you know, which I, I love all of those things. Yeah. But the like tit for tat wasn't there. But aside from that, it was kind of like I'd, I'd see it in friends. I'd see it in people mm-hmm. and it would kind of shift. And I, I always kind of felt like the universe sent me the person I needed to be around when I needed to be around them. Mm. You know, I feel like everyone that we meet when we get life lessons, like sometimes you don't even realize you're getting one. It's not <laughs> that like conscious thing, you right. know? So I just always was really mindful of people that I felt drawn to. Yeah. If it was whether it was somebody I knew for a long time and then all of a sudden I felt super close to them, yeah. I would lean into that. Mm. Um, or if it was just a stranger I met and I'd be like, I need to talk to this person again. Let me figure out and go see what I need. What do I need from this person? Mm-hmm. So it would kind of shift. So I would just nice. like lean into mm-hmm. it when I needed mm-hmm. it, you know, but I was always very much like one of those people who was like moving around social groups. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I'd have these little core groups of friends and I'd always have like one or two people that I was like really <clears throat> tied to, but I really did a lot of like code switching and amalgamating and kind of like, what's mm-hmm. going on over here? What's going on over here? <laughs> yeah. What's going on over here? Like mm-hmm. I really kind of, my social life was, was very varied which I think was good it was mm. a very good thing for me it allowed me to really see different perspectives and then juxtapose that against my own perception and really help me check myself of where I'm at you know and that's not to say that I didn't make bad choices I fucking did I made tons of bad choices <laughs> I fucked up a lot you know what mm. I mean I don't want to make it sound like I figured everything out and like mm. life has been a breeze because that's certainly not the case mm. but you know I've one of the gifts of getting older is I think you can kind of stop and reflect and look back and not necessarily rewrite your history, but you're able to sort of redefine it. If that, not even define it, you're just, you're understanding it in a different way, mm-hmm. right? In a different lens. We're able to put glasses on and be like, oh, that was that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it meant something different when you were going through it, but that's what you needed then. And now this is what you need now. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It but, does. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been to therapy? Oh, girl, it's my favorite shit. <laughs> I've been going once a week for the last 13 years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I took like a two year break because I was like, I got it. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, I don't have it. I was like auditioning new therapists and it was like such an anxiety inducing thing. And I have straight up have an anxiety disorder. So it's like constants are good for me. And I was getting so much anxiety. I'm like, why am I trying to find a new person? Like, mm-hmm. why do I think that my old therapist wouldn't welcome me back with open arms? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was just like. That's how I knew I wasn't in a good place because I was like, well, I already left and she wouldn't want me anymore. And it was like all these like self-deprecating thoughts. And all it took was seriously an email to her. And she was like, pretty much like, duh, bitch, like <laughs> schedule it up. I always have time for you. you know? But yeah, I mean, but it took me, I didn't start therapy until I was 34, 35. Mm. Was there a certain thing that led to Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Probably the, not probably the worst relationship I ever got myself into. Uh, I was, it started off fine and exciting in the way that you think you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And it was very lustful, Mm -hmm. um, you know, very much 
in love with the idea of this person and the idea of what I thought the relationship would be. And he lived in a different state and he ended up moving to California and I was so excited and I was like, Oh my God, this is so exciting. Like this person's moving here for me. We're moving in together. And I was like, I should have known like the day he was arriving, I had like one of the most profound panic attacks I've ever had in my life to the point where I couldn't even walk the three blocks to like go pick him up from the BART station to walk him to our house because I was such a fucking mess and could not pull myself together. And I'm like, Oh cool. This guy's moving from a state and he's literally showing up and I'm like having a full panic manic like episode um but anyway the relationship ended up just being not great he was a full-on alcoholic Mm. I did not see the signs because I think I was so focused on the idea of us versus the reality of us and the people that we were yeah and I was very much trying to like fix him Mm. now if I can just fix him I've done it you know what I mean and I kind of turned into my mom a little bit and like leaned in and realized like now I look back I was like oh I was role-playing my parents relationship right killer you know like didn't realize it but he just was an alcoholic it was various stages and I'm talking really bad alcoholism like Mm. disappearing for days like showing up uh so drunk passing out hitting his head on concrete taking him to emergency rooms like uh, abusive language, a lot of abusive language, like literally being verbally abused and mm-hmm. also me verbally abusing him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. getting to this point where like, I almost got physical a couple times and was like, I, okay, wow. Now we are on the verge of being physical with each other. Right. This is, this is not great. Yeah. Uh, and it all ended, of course, like all most relationships, the alcoholic end and like, He's been cheating on me for a year. Uh, right. And all of my friends know. What? Every single person who I've been hanging out with, who I considered a friend for the last seven years, knows and did not say anything to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he literally moved out of the house we shared together into her house. Oh. Like, like, I felt I was literally, I broke up with him before I confirmed that he was cheating. Like, I, I knew it in my heart of hearts and he wouldn't yeah. admit to it. So I was just like, that's it. I can't do this. Yeah. And then over the course of like the month of us breaking up, because of course he didn't want to let me go. Mm-hmm. I find out and like see a text message. I have to hold him to it. He's still denying it, even though I'm like, here's a picture of your dick. <laughs> and this is not my phone number. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you're texting me. This is not your phone. number. Like literally like. So and he we still wanna- denied it. Still denied it. Wow. <laughs> That's just literally so said wild. This is your dick. Ain't no other dick this crusty, bitch. This is your dick. Your crusty is it not dick. your dick? Is this your dick? Or are you gay now? Is this someone else's dick? Like no. Fully, you know, full wow. And it turned out like she was very much an alcoholic. They were like party friends. She ended up being his like out to me because I was trying to clean him. But it was just, it was a fucked up situation. Yeah. But to say like overall that basically catapulted me into like the biggest depression and made me self doubt everything that I thought was real. Mm. And I just was like, I don't know how to fix this. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to restore joy. I can't stop crying. Mm. And so I called up and like a, a woman that I worked with and a guy that I worked with. And another guy was like, who's your therapist? Like I need to, <laughs> I need help. And I ended up being my boss's therapist. And he was like, Hey, like, I think she's great. It's up to you. Mm. You let me know mm-hmm. whatever. And she ended up being like the perfect match. I got so lucky. So many people, mm. you kind of have to try people on. Yeah. But she was just like the exact speed I needed. Mm. Just like super calm, older woman, great listener, mm-hmm. full sensibilities. It's fine that I swear like a sailor. Mm. Like didn't, I didn't have to hold things back or like meet her anything. Mm-hmm. And she definitely pulled me out of like the deepest shit I've ever been pulled out of mm. and was like, okay. Stand you back up. Let's prop you back up. You all right? You all right? You know what I mean? And like, I started seeing her then. And then like, I started doing comedy while I was seeing her in 2010. 
And that was like an interesting thing because that was like kind of what like I started doing comedy because of the failure of that relationship. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. As a means to like self-torture myself. (laughs) (laughs) Because I literally like it literally I did it because I wanted to feel terrible. Like I was like when I get depressed, I get destructive. Mm. And so I get self-destructive or at Mm. least that's I have a tendency to do that. Like I don't do that anymore, but that was definitely where I was at. Mm -hmm. And it would be some sort of like sex, drugs, alcohol, some sort of something Mm -hmm. or just like super negative talk. Mm -hmm. And I had spent. I don't know, I think I was in my apartment for like almost two months, like I was literally like going to work, coming home. And just watching Lost. Like I watched mm-hmm. like all of the seasons. Lost had wrapped and I watched all of the seasons <laughs> of Lost. And like people would call and I wouldn't answer the phone. Because I'd also, mm-hmm. mind you, in my mind, lost all my friends. Yes. Mm-hmm. There was two or three people that I still trusted mm-hmm. that didn't know or kind of knew but didn't know. And I just, I had a tightness with them enough that I felt like we could move through <clears> it, you yeah. know. And one of my very good friends was like, he had been in LA and he'd moved to the Bay Area. And when he was in LA, he was doing stand up and he moved to the Bay Area and he like enrolled in this like comedy college and was like, listen, I know the last thing you want to do right now is leave your house or be vulnerable or anything. But like, even mm-hmm. us just talking right now, like you're funny. Like and he's, he's been begging me to do stand up for years. And I was like, you're fucking out of your mind. That's crazy. You know? And I literally like, he took me out for a drink and I told him a story of like how well it was going in my house. And he was just like that, what you said right there, that you could do that. Mm. And so he basically was like, just do it once for me. Come to the comedy college. <laughs> come do the open mic there. It's two minutes. If, if it goes terrible and you hate it, I'll never, I'll never bother you again. He's like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to feel worse. And I was like, that's it. That's how you won me over. Wow. And so I went in mm. fully expecting to be like, sick. This is mm. going to be great. This is going to suck. I'm going to fucking hate this. I'm going to get to yell at him about it. Mm. I'm going to feel like shit. I'm going to get to home and find something else other than lost. I'm going to mm-hmm. smoke all the weed in my house. Yeah. I'm going to drink seven bottles of wine. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I was really ready for it. And it did. I, in fact, it was the opposite. Hmm. I went on stage. I told the story that I told him, which was basically about getting used to living in an apartment by myself without a person mm-hmm. and how I lived in San Francisco and all the houses are old and creaky and make noise. And I had like was convincing myself that like my house was haunted. <laughs> and then I just realized it's like, no old house is settled, bitch. You're high. Like, <laughs> down, you know, but I had this whole fantasy and it was about how I, like, I thought like I was going to get, you know, abused by a ghost and like, how could, you know, and I just like, why am I think this ghost wants to fuck me? Like, why is that the first stop? Like, why wouldn't, why, you know? And I was like, it was just like this whole thing, you know, that yeah. didn't make sense. And it went well. And it was like the most invigorating two minutes that like, mm-hmm. I'd felt like there was six people in that room, whatever it was like a smattering of laughters but it had nothing to do with how much laughter I got mm-hmm. and had everything to do with me being like oh I'm in control here mm. oh mm. this is interesting <laughs> yeah. these people have to listen to me yeah they don't even have to like me and in fact there's the potential of people hating me <laughs> and like that recipe was so what I needed you know what I mean and me not realizing bitch this is gonna pull you out of this oh. you know what I mean but that's that's literally how I started comedy was just like every time I go I'll be like well let's see if they fucking hate this like all right you know mm. <laughs> it's like and it worked to the opposite where people are like no this is great this is this is working out and then I realized like oh this is what it feels like when you are good at something mm. immediately mm. like I remember being a kid and like trying to like you know oh I'm gonna do the flip arounds on the bars. And it's like, I can't do cherry drops as fast as fucking Becky. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or like going to play softball and being like, I'm uncoordinated shit. I cannot play softball, you know, or like <laughs> all the things you try, like going to art class and being like, I can't draw my hand. It looks like a foot, like nothing ever working or feeling right. And then that was like the first time. And it was just such an odd feeling to be like 35 oh. and be standing there 
talking about, you know, being like assaulted by a ghost in my house <laughs> and feeling like, oh, this is, this is, I'm great at this. Mm. I was like, <laughs> how did it make you feel when people did like you? Oh, great. Oh, good. Fantastic. Once I, once it all started getting together, I was realizing I was going, I stopped going because I wanted people to hate me and started going because (laughs) of the way I felt when I left. Good. And that happened relatively quickly where I just was like, and it was also a thing to do where no one knew me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any of those people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I knew comics that were sort of mid-level in my area because I liked comedy and I went to the club. So I knew these performers, Mm -hmm. but like, no one else who was a comic knew me. No one knew my story. No one knew my baggage. And everyone was so caught up in their own shit. Mm-hmm. It was really easy to show up and be ambiguous and be able to sort of build a new narrative based on what they saw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And me and not having any attachment to that because I also knew that that necessarily wasn't who I really was. <laughs> and the freedom of that allowed me to heal. Mm. And then when I realized, okay, I'm kind of healed, being able to kind of like throw that part out and be like, now how can I fucking connect with these people? Mm. And I had sort of that under my belly, so I wasn't scared of performing as much anymore. And then it morphed into this like, I must master this craft. Mm. You know, and I kind of spent this chunk of years really obsessing on delivery and words and like almost approaching it in the same way that people do trying to get over the fear of um, public speaking. Mm -hmm. And I really became obsessed with like not being nervous Mm -hmm. and how to like get that out so that I could just like be in the moment and really not think in my head about what's going on Mm -hmm. and not be processing any thoughts about anyone, including myself and just being focused on creating joy in that moment Mm -hmm. and whatever that looked like. And hopefully it would, be with the words that I was saying, yeah. um, <laughs> like, you know, and, and it worked out. But, and then it was funny because like moving through that of being like, oh, well, it's only going to happen if I say these exact words in this exact order. Mm-hmm. And then it moved into like, you know, the general vibe. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Get in there. Yeah. There's, you got to hit some words, but like, well, take, yeah. take, take a side road. You know what I mean? And that was like this next liberation of being able to be like, all right, I kind of know my general stuff, but let me go in there and just see what's happening. Mm-hmm. What am I into? What are they into? What are we into together? How do I deliver the stroke? How does this be different? You know? Yeah. And it it really has. And now it's like this one constant thing in my life that I'm just like, yeah, I'm very good at comedy. Yeah. Whether or not like that ever yields like on a global nationally recognized level is a whole other thing. But like, I mean, you know better than anybody. If you don't like doing comedy, don't fucking do it. Yeah. Like if you're doing comedy because you want to make money, fucking stop. Get a better job. <laughs> this is not a great job. This is a shitty investment. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to love comedy. And mm. I, I know for me, the comics that I adore and that I admire are really people who are connected to that. You know, and not to eschew the business side of it. Obviously, we all have bills to pay. We all need to make money. But it's just very interesting to me, especially now in these times, to see how people come to the comedy table and what their intentions are and how that drives them and how mm-hmm. that's shaping the sort of global sphere of the art and of the craft. Mm. And as someone who came into it like for art and for craft and for healing and for joy and for positivity, it, it is disheartening to see people who are like, and I do the jokes mm. and now I'm joking. You know, or I, I, actually, I'd long for the jokes. I, I'd, I'd rather that than to like, which job? What do you, what do you do? <laughs> That's wild. 
You don't like crowd work? I fucking hate crowd work. <laughs> I, I hate I, I, I think crowd work that's organic that happens in the moment is amazing. But I hate the shift that we've gone to and I hate the, what social media has done to the crowd work. Because yeah, we can all be funny in moments of time and that is a skill within being a comedian, but it is not the end all be all. Mm-hmm. Do you know how you know how fucking hard it is to write 10 minutes, to write an hour? Fuck you, I'm not gonna talk to you. I've worked for 10 years on my <laughs> hour. I'm doing my fucking hour. I'm not gonna stop because you wanna be on TikTok. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, or because mm-hmm. some dickhead over here has only done three years mm-hmm. and he knows how to do crowd work. So now he's a comic. I'm sorry. You're not a fucking comic. <laughs> like I, I just, I don't I, like it. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's a cheap way out. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's, I'm trying to think of a sports analogy, but I don't sports. So I can't even think of like a thing. I got like a handicap. That's what gives you more points to start off. So you're ahead in golf. Is that a thing? Girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't know. I think, Melanie knows. Right? So <laughs> yeah. it's like never, it's like always having a handicap. Like, well, I just do 30 minutes of crowd work and I do 30 minutes of jokes. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you get to take an hour long headlining spot mm-hmm. from someone who's been working 12 years on their craft because you have a lot of clips that mm-hmm. people watch while they're shitting. <laughs> Killer. But I would say, I hear you. <laughs> I would say that I just feel that like they're, whatever they're doing is working for somebody and that it's, a craft in itself. Like even oh, if, for sure. even if it's just like, what do you do? Oh, canned response to a nurse. I'm just like, that's great. Like have fun. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't, I'm like, cool. I just don't think as many people think they're as good at it as they are. <laughs> <laughs> that's my problem. Like I, great crowd work is great co- crowd work. Todd Berry. Todd Berry is a fucking genius. Todd Berry has been doing crowd work for the, for 15 years ago. He was doing crowd work tours where that's all he did. And that dude is a fucking master. But to get to Todd Berry, you have to be TikTok. You know what Do I'm you? saying? You have Todd to Berry, try. You got to Todd Berry without TikTok? Not, not when I say TikTok, I mean practice. You have to be right, not at the, great at, at it. At the right times, though. You can't just full on drive in and just do that unless you're just. Why not? And then what? <laughs> so all comedy is is crowd work forever and they never learn how to write a fucking premise? Why not? Yeah. Maybe that, it's like that, a to me style, is, that to me like, is a different um, thing. To me, that's the... not for me personally. That's not that's not comedy. It's funny. It's a comedic moment that's in time. Comedy. It's an experience, not necessarily, not through my lens. Not there. It is. <laughs> I think. Yeah, no, and, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. We're talking about my lens. Yes, yeah. yes. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's space for everything, and I think that people who want to experience that can go and experience that. But I think that it is. My issue is that it's, it's a trend. Mm. If that was really comedy, people would have been doing this 50 years ago. It was crowd work a new thing. I don't think it's a new shining thing. Shining the light on it, oh, the okay. way that it is, is a new thing. There's always crowd work in comedy. Mm-hmm. Always, right? You, you have to be. There, you still have to be connected to your audience and be in the moment, right? And I'm not going to lie and say that there have been moments where shit has happened where I'm like, Absolutely. You know what I mean? But I tend to eschew from crowd work, not because I don't like it, um, because it is funny when it happens and it's organic. I like it to be organic. I don't like it to be forced. I guess that's the kind of like, for me, the quantifier there mm. is I want it to be an organic moment in time where it's coming, it's happened. Because I do, I, I like, I see myself, when I speak of myself as a comic, I am a storyteller. I am a comedic storyteller. I have referred to myself as a comedic storyteller since I started stand-up. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to get comfortable using the word comic or stand-up because, honestly, I revered it too highly and I felt like I wasn't worthy of it. So I called myself a comedic storyteller and that took the pressure off of me to become a great comic. 
because I didn't feel like that was weighing down on me. So mm-hmm. I personally, I like a narrative. Me watching an hour's worth of, of crowd work, I'm, even if it's Todd Berry, bro, I'm out. 10 minutes, I'm fucking out. Mm-hmm. It hit me with a narrative. I want to see an arc because I love watching masterful comics who are able to kind of get from A to Z. You know what I mean? And, and there's an arc where you're like, oh, this person's talking about this and this and this, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's not to say that I think, I mean, I'm not a political comic either. Like, you know, but there's people who do that masterfully. You know, I, I definitely am more like vibes, you know, and stories mm-hmm. and experiences and life and energy and kind of creating that, you know, kind of physically without working through, you know, sort of this disarming the audience. Let me get their trust. Like there is something that happens with crowd work that is good, but I just feel like not as many people are as good at it as they think they are. That's, I think that's just like the bottom line for me. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from. I, you know, I just think, I don't know. I, it's hard for me. Well, one, I love doing crowd work. I used to be bad at it and I used to be scared of it. And then I started practicing and people are like, you're so good at it. And I have fun and I enjoy it. And so when I hear like, that's not art. I get uh, uh, defensive, yeah. you know, cause I'm like, I, it, it is to me like, you know, I think it's, um, and like, I think of people going viral on TikTok because they had this interaction with a person and that happened because somebody enjoyed that, you mm-hmm. know? And I, it, not everyone has to enjoy it, but I, I just think there's like this, like this calling people not artists or you're not a comic or like, you're not this, like, this is what this is. I just feel like it's restrictive. Yeah. It's like, um, like it doesn't have to be your thing, but Mm -hmm. like telling someone they're not an artist because they're not doing it the way you like, it just hurts my feelings. (laughs) No, I get that. I can see that point of view. I don't know. I just, and maybe it's because I'm older. I mean, I'm 46. Mm -hmm. You're what? 33. There we go. 24. Um, and I also grew up in a house where it's like, I grew up seeing performed, written out comedy like I grew up you know watching George Carlin you know Elaine Boozler you know um Judy Tenuta you know what I mean where there's stuff that's like absurd I I I have more space in my heart for like even like the absurd shit that some people like that's not comedy Mm -hmm. and I'm like actually it is like that's fucking highbrow whack out camp yeah and and I know that people feel the same way about that or the people that are like oh improv isn't comedy and I'm like you know I don't like improv but like it's it definitely is it's a bone you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. that's a whole skill that I I don't have it's not a medium I like working in it but I definitely think it's there you know so I guess to reframe my comment like I, I just, I don't think that you can be a stand-up and only do crowd work. I really do think, and I know, I know comics, like I have a friend, Vince, he's probably, if he ever sees this and be like, what the fuck are you talking about, bitch? That's my whole <laughs> shit. Uh, and you're very good at it. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know for me, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just not like your that. thing. It's not my thing. Yeah. It doesn't hold my, my like, you know, attention. Yeah. You know, and also I think it, it seems, if I really think about it too, I think to me, it's something that comes together easier than learning how to like write a narrative arc. Because Mm -hmm. I guess the other part of it is like, to me, crowd work is like, that's just life banter. Like we're all bantering and crowd working everywhere. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, yeah, we're just talking to each other. Is there a part of you that is, I I just hear there's a part of you, like I've really put in the time and dedication. Oh, absolutely. In the work that you do. Absolutely. It feels like, that's an easy way out is how you're 
viewing it. It's like you didn't work as hard as what it totally. feels like. I mean, I think that's it's dead on. You're totally astute with that. I mean, I certainly I know that comedy is not a meritocracy. Um, but like in some ways I think it should be. I do think you have to earn your stripes. I do think you have to like put in your work. I it's something that I don't know, I think it's also just part of like how I was raised and mm-hmm. in life and then how I came up in comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, I came up in San Francisco when I started doing comedy and there is a rich history of comedy and comedians and there mm-hmm. are sort of graduating classes there. Yeah. And there was sort of this path you had to go through in order to sort of like say I'm a comic, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that definitely influences that. Like you're Mm -hmm. saying, it's like, I do think that you kind of have to, there's certain steps you have to jump through Mm -hmm. and there's certain years you have to go to, to get there. Now, how many, I don't know. Some people get there in two, some people get there in nine, some people get there in 17. I'm definitely squishy on that. I've certainly met comics that are like been doing it for three years. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, good for you. Mm -hmm. You've, you've figured this out. Mm-hmm. You've got it. You're in a good groove. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I will absolutely like give them their flowers and recognize it and be like, <laughs> they are fucking funny. Mm-hmm. I will never not tell someone that they're not funny, regardless of the years that they've been doing it. Mm-hmm. I, that's for sure. But yeah, I, I do. I do believe in a meritocracy. <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> I believe in a hierarchy. You know what I mean? And I think that's like the comedy boomer in me for sure. Mm-hmm. I'll admit it. I'll own it. No, I, I, I said <laughs> that, but I also hear like when you say you're like, if it's funny, if people are laughing, it's funny for somebody. It's not yes. like, I don't think any comic's going to be like widespread. Sorry, there's a weird noise. It's a car. It's a helicopter or a truck or something? Yeah. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> All good. No, it's, it's, yeah. no, but I don't think there's any comedian that's going to be a one size fits all and everybody's going to think oh, they're funny. Oh, absolutely not. And I think you're leaning more into like, if it's funny and somebody likes it, why, why not? Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, I also hear your point. Like, yeah. you know, you put time in and like there are, there is a craft to a joke. I, yeah, I think it's just, I mean, obviously it's just a personal thing oh, that 100%. I feel, you know, and if it works for you, it works for you, right? Like, I can say all this sitting here, but that doesn't mean, like, I can say, oh, I don't think that you're a comic. You know what yeah. I mean? But that doesn't mean that you are. You know what I mean? That's how I see it. But that shouldn't stop anybody from doing it. I mean, you do what you do. You go out and you have a good time. Those crowds are happy. Like, it kind of doesn't matter what anybody else fucking thinks about it you. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. At all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's why it's easy for me to say those definitive things, because that's yeah. kind of the box that I sit in where I'm just like... I'm speaking for me and my experience, Mm -hmm. but I would never in a million years be like, oh, I don't think you should do what you're doing. Right. You know, oh, I don't think you should do what you're doing. Like, Mm -hmm. I would never do that because it's like, it's supposed to fucking about nothing to do with me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You got shit to do with me. I'm not the person doing that. That's that's on you. you Right. Right. But if you, it's just the way that it is, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is, it's fascinating. It's an interesting time to like be a performer of comedy in these things and look like, some shit's going to come along in like three years. We're all going to be fighting about again. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those things. It's definitely been interesting watching how social media comes to play. Definitely. You know, it's like I started writing when like blogging was a big deal. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I had like a comedy blog that I didn't realize like was what I was doing was comedy. And that's why my friend was like, you should do it on stage. I'm like, no, no, I have my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people didn't understand that either of like, oh, this is weird. And even myself, I was like, none of this shit translates. This is, this is weird. This is just off like non sequitur thoughts. No one would care about this, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know, maybe in three years I'll be like, crowd work is it guys? Maybe. <laughs> crowd work is the new Jewish. We got to all be doing it. We got to get up there change. and just read blogs maybe yeah. in three years. Dude, straight up. Just go all the way back. Just start, all the way back. I'm going to bust if out my, 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 funny, my, print out my live journal and start reading it because <laughs> that's where it started. Honestly. I've, um, you, 
have had so many successes in comedy, but I think like, I remember a conversation we had where you were like, I'm not really interested in making this like a full time situation. Oh, I am, but I'm not interested in doing it. Not on my own terms. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Like, and I also will be okay if it doesn't. Got you. Like my success as a comedian doesn't define my success as a person. And those are important distinction that I think needs to be made for whatever career you're in Mm -hmm. regardless. Um, and I'm not going to hold my success if if I reach the same levels that others do. Um, and I'd be lying if I say it doesn't frustrate me sometimes. Mm. It certainly does. You know, the industry frustrates me incredibly, which is why I kind of participate at my own level. Um, because I've had so many friends that have really thrown themselves into the fire and have ended up in great places and then bad places and then wonderful places and then bad places. And it's very inconsistent, you know, or they've done things and agreed to things that they didn't want to do, but they knew they had to do it in order to Mm. get there. And I think that, you know, part of my control issue is that like, I do want to have control in everything I do and I'm, I'm not malleable Mm -hmm. and I am not willing to do gigs that I don't think I'll have fun at. I'm not willing to put in like some of the grind that is perceived that you need to do as part of our organization. Cause I'm like, it's not a meritocracy. So why should I sacrifice my entirety of my life <laughs> to prove that I'm willing and I'm good enough to be a part of this career? Mm. That, that's where I think I get misunderstood a little bit. You know, if I had an opportunity tomorrow or if I created an opportunity for myself tomorrow that made sense that like required me dedicating 100% of my life or 80% of my life or everything in there. Hell yeah, mm. I would. But the reality is, is for me is that, you know, I provide for my mom. Mm. I provide for my family. So I have financial obligations that as, you know, a person in their mid forties, you know, and even when I started comedy in my mid thirties, like I already had those obligations. Mm -hmm. So like, it wasn't me just risking me, Mm -hmm. you know, if I didn't have those obligations, I probably would have been a very different page. I probably would have quit my job. I probably would have just been like, let's fuck it. Let's go do it. But I didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. You know, at the time that I started comedy within a year, my mom got cancer. Mm. She had cancer for two and a half years, went through treatment. I had to take care of her. I had to do all of that stuff. So quitting my job was not an option, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I had a year off and then my dad got cancer and died within eight months. So it's like the first like six years of my comedy career was like a tremendous amount of responsibility I had. So I had to really decide like how much time do I have Mm. to give to this? What can I do? and, And how do I have a balanced life so that I don't feel like, I'm keeping myself from anything and I'm not developing this, but I've always just kind of been like, things will happen when they happen, mm. you know? And, and now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I need to make some decisions about how I'm going to proceed with this. Like, how do I motivate and how do I continue my career in an independent sphere? Mm. You know, agnostic of sort of like, I have an agent, I've got a manager, here's my deal. You know what I mean? Like, I know that one of those traditional setups likely not work for me because I am a control freak Mm. (laughs) and I have no problem with telling somebody, uh, fuck no, I'm not doing that. That That's fucking stupid. You know, or I, I have a fundamental issue with like, you want 10% of my money for what? Mm -hmm. For what? (laughs) I have a calendar. (laughs) I can, I can do this. So they just don't want, they don't want me to call. They want you to call. That, that's the part. That's the part where I'm just like, I'm, I'm a little too, and I'm like, can't we just, you've seen me Booker, you know, I'm very funny, right. but because this person isn't calling you five times a week and you're not going, fuck this guy again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm like? That's mm-hmm. the, that's the part of me that like, I'm not good at playing the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that's, that's my bad. 
I would probably be in a better position if I was more up for playing the game. Mm. But I'm a little too honest and I speak my truth a little too loudly. And it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is there ever been a time when you release control and you were like, this feels nice? (laughs) (laughs) When I'm getting a facial. Oh, that's a good example. That's nice. Um, mm-hmm. On a weekend or on a vacation or on a, an, an established time where I am unclicking from everything. <laughs> <laughs> on a specific day. <laughs> this yes. is when I allow yeah. out of control. When it's like. When it's I, controlled. When it's controlled. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I always have an underlying, an mm. underlying thing of like. Mm, <clears throat> it takes me a minute to get to that place. But like, you know, like on. I took like a month off from everything. From like December to January, like basically from actually from like the end of November to January, where I was like, I have no schedule. Mm-hmm. My schedule is no schedule. Nice. Yes, that was this is between this time and this time, but like yeah. I literally had no schedule where I was like, I'm not doing shit. I don't mm-hmm. give a fuck. I'm not scheduling it. I will not be there. Uh, I am not coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, <laughs> and on those, I will just be like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens. Well, that's good. You know, that's fine. But it, it took me a long time, and I still am very. It's still hard for me to like fully trust someone or something to be like, and I don't need to have control over this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't need to at least be like, well, what, what is, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. can I just take a look at it? Real, okay. You know, <laughs> and be like, mm, I don't have to do this, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, it is pretty rare. I'm just, I don't know. I think it just goes back to me just being like, I have to have me at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but I am like, as structured as it sounds, like I am still like, there is still room for like, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't go my way, I'm also, I'm way better. I used to be so hard on myself mm-hmm. if things didn't turn out the way that I thought they were because I was in control and I planned it and did it. And like, mm-hmm. I used to be so hard on myself. Yeah. And now I'm just like, oh, fuck that one up. All right. Like I am, like I can let stuff go mm-hmm. much easier than I used to. Mm-hmm. Or now I'm just like, all right, well. And I'm also, I, much better at identifying when I really can't be in control and I just have to be mm-hmm. only thing I control is how I respond to the negativity. All I can do is respond to the ambiguity. Mm-hmm. All I can do is respond to the positivity. Like I cannot control other people, other things. I know I can only control my responses to it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in situations that require me to really like let go, that's where I kind of rest in. It's like, Hey, I have no control over any of these decisions <laughs> are being made, right? But I can either choose to flip out or I can choose to take some deep breaths and just know that this is what's happening. It's happening for a reason. I need to trust this process. Everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like which is still like me controlling myself. Yeah. But, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little bit more healthy, you know, yeah. centered In way a way that lets you go with the flow a little yes. bit more. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, I have another question, but yeah. it would get, it would take, a, it would take, I want to just have you back. <laughs> You do, um, do you have do you have any more questions? Mm-mm. Okay. No. Do I? <laughs> no, I, I want to come up with some. <laughs> no, 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 no. I well, okay, we don't have time, but just know that I'm so grateful that you're here. Yeah. Happy and to be I, here. Mm-hmm. I love talking about this shit. Like I'm a very uh I just I feel like it is so important to like really explore yourself and how you digest shit. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you learn, the way that you learn, the way that I learn, 
totally different, right? We might have similarities in that. The way that we articulate ourselves is different. So that like, there is no one size fits all to like life (laughs) and language. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to show up and tell you how to do it. You know what I mean? So it's like, I just think it's so important to like, think about it and like talk about it mm-hmm. and like listen to other people's perspective. Like even the fact that like we sit on two different sides of the fences that come to crowd where like, I like I love the conversation, you know what I yeah. mean? Like I'm always up for like the debate and it'll be something that I think about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, Hmm, she's right. You know what I mean? Like that's interesting. So I just think it's so cool to be able to talk about that. And especially like within the comedy world, I feel like there's a lot of posturing mm. There's a lot of um, (laughs) control, obviously, but it's so funny because what we're doing is standing in one of the most vulnerable spaces that you can stand. And there's so much power in exposing that vulnerability and being comfortable and being aware of that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And like, we don't allow ourselves enough time to talk about like the emotional, the mental, the metaphysical ways of like how we got into being these people that stand in front of people and speak. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we'll sit and talk about like, oh, what I tell you about all the road gigs I did and who has the best chicken fingers. And like, yes. did you know this guy? And it's like, who fucking cares? <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's just talk about mm. I am so much more interested in people like and that's why I mentioned what I did at the top is like I do comedy because I am fascinated by people. Mm-hmm. I love being able to just create joy for a few seconds of life. And normally when I'm on stage, I usually say that at some point. And I usually thank the audience because I'm serious. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for letting me be a part of this. Like, this is wild mm-hmm. that people pay money and show up to be like, fucking dance clown. Make me laugh, yeah. you know, and I get it. <laughs> I get it. I'm ready. Let's go. You know, I'm so grateful that I can get paid and also just be like, hey, you want to hear some weird shit I thought about? All right. Like, this seems just like, like being a little kid that never shut up. And everybody was like, all right. You know, like. Nobody paid me then. If anything, they're like, here, do you want something to eat so you can be quiet for once? You know? <laughs> um, you know, but then I, or it would just be me being quiet and just watching and like mm-hmm. having conversations in my head and then talking to myself in my room later, you know, which is also <laughs> equally weird. That's <laughs> what it is. Um, what it. do you like to do that's where you're like, this is my, mm, my me time? I mean, honestly, my me time, like, I mean, there's probably no secret to anybody this, well, maybe to you, but like, I am a full, I am obsessed with Dolly Parton. I love mm. Dolly Parton as much as I love oxygen and marijuana. Like, <laughs> I love it. Like, I need, I need all three of those things to survive. <laughs> and my core friendships with, you know, my like three best friends on the planet is when we were had friendships, we don't each other since we were 18 years old, but you know, Dolly Parton really pulls us together. So it's like when I have time off, when I've got time, like I love to go to Dollywood. Like it is a place that makes me feel genuine joy and happiness. I don't even ride rides. I just like to walk around and watch other people being excited about being at Dollywood. Like I just, I love seeing joy on people's faces. I love just like being in a place where it's like me and my friends, the only thing we're worrying about is coordinating outfits. You know what I mean? Of like, what are we wearing today? What are we doing? Are we doing Dolly? Are we doing Gucci today? Or what are we doing? Are we wearing marijuana clothing? Are we wearing American flags? What are we wearing today? You know? American flags. Like we love to dress up and goofy shit and match and have a good time and just like, you know, spending that time with my friends, you mm-hmm. know? And then when I'm not doing that, the other stuff that just makes me happy is like now it's like now that I have my dogs, speaking mm-hmm. of beautiful dogs came into the room, yeah. is I love just being with my dogs. I love just like mm-hmm. taking my dogs outside and going for a walk mm-hmm. and just watching them get hype over just like 
<laughs> mud. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Watching them get hype over a bird. You know what I mean? Watching them get hype over an acorn they found in the ground. Like yeah. my dogs bury, or, uh, dug up like a squirrel, like a little squirrel dungeon full of nuts the other day and they were losing their minds. I thought they were, I wrote and I was like, you dug up squirrel nuts. Like that's somebody's bank account. They got to get through spring and I had to like explain economics to my dogs. You know what I mean? And be like, you can't, like you can chase them, but you can't eat their food. You can't rob them. Come on. Yeah, like, what are you? You're a thief and a bully? Come on. Like, one. Uh, but yeah, so it's, for me, it's just like, you know, I, I love Dolly Parton. I love music. You know mm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. just listen to music and honestly, just spending quality time with the people that I love. And it's because, you know, as you do comedies, I'm sure you experience when you're traveling a bunch and like, I'm not traveling as much as I used to. I miss so many holidays, birthdays, events, mm-hmm. dinners, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying, as I get older, I'm trying to make sure that I honor space for those things that are meaningful to me and recharge me. Yeah. And whatever that is that moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and if that's going and buying a t-shirt with Dolly Parton's face on it, if it's going to an exhibit, if it's reading a book, if it's, you know, talking to my homegirls, like whatever, like yeah. that's kind of. Just kind of my vibe. Yeah. Just hanging out, enjoying life, breathing. Fuck around yeah. here. Have you ever met Dolly Parton? I have. I figured. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I was like, if you haven't, we got to figure out a way. Oh, yeah. No, no it's <laughs> happened. Let's just put it this way. I'm pretty sure her staff knows who I am. <laughs> I'm not on the watch list yet, but like, I'm close. Yes. No, yeah. I'm on the, like, she's respectful. She's cool. She's just a fan list. <laughs> but, like, there's definitely a recognizable, they're like, oh, Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm like, back. I'm, I'm back. I'm not armed. I never will be. <laughs> just here full of beam and light. That's oh, all. That's just it. That's Dolly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Talk about somebody you want to base your life on. She's she's made good choices. Right. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? You can find me um on the internet. Yeah. Like to. <laughs> uh, I have an Instagram account. It's at hater Tuesday. That's probably the, the social media place that I am the most active. Um, I have started messing around on TikTok a little bit. Uh, there's some stuff on there, but I don't post there as much. I don't even post regularly on Instagram. I kind of, when when, when the, the when the strikes. vibe strikes me, yeah. I shall. Uh, <laughs> but I do have a website, LydiaPopovich.com. I do put all of my dates there. There is, you know, ways you can get in contact with me and see me again. Um, just Google me. What's your, how do you spell your last name? P-O-P-O-V-I-C-H. Just like Greg Popovich. We are not related. (laughs) But if you want to send me stuff because you think we're related, we are related. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And by send me stuff, I mean it was just a checkout guy at the cashier uh, at the Safeway when I lived in San Francisco. This old man that used to be like, used to go there every day, like after work, after sets, whatever. I'd stop and like on the way home and get whatever and went through and you related to Popovich, Greg Popovich? I'd say no. Said no several times before. And then the last time I went through, it was like, really? Greg Popovich? I was like, sure am. And he goes, oh, that's so great. I love the Spurs. He just needed someone to, t- he just, I realized, oh, he just wanted to tell me he loved the Spurs. <laughs> and then, uh, interestingly enough, that day I bought like three bottles of wine. I only got charged for two bottles of wine. Okay. And so from that day forward, he was like, hey, Miss Popovich. And like, there was always something cheaper on my bill. So I was like, oh, God damn. I am related. So now I usually just say, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming here, Lydia. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. So nice to talk to me. You're really great. This was uh, very casual. I didn't even know we started a podcast. And I was just like, oh shit, should I shut up? And then no one stopped me. So I was like, oh, we're in there. No, you're the These guest. That's how we do it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for
for listening to I'm Fine, It's Fine podcast. My name is Amber Autry. I'm a comedian based here in Nashville and internationally touring. You can find me on all platforms at Amber Autry Comedy. And I am Melanie Reese. I'm a trauma therapist here in Nashville. You can find me across all platforms at Trauma Therapy Nashville. We really appreciate you listening so much. And if you want to give a little extra for free, make sure you're liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing with your friends, talking about it to literally everyone you see, because it helps so much. And we're so grateful for the extra effort. And if you like what you're hearing and you want some bonus material, that includes interviews with other practitioners and all the juicy stuff that Amber and I talk about that doesn't go into the normal podcast. Um, We'd love to have you subscribe. You can find the link in our bio and $5 a month. You can do it. Thank you. Thanks.